Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hello everybody, welcome to another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. Good to have you with us this week. Before we get into who is the guest on this week's Cricket Badger Podcast, thanks very much again to the Experience Travel Group for sponsoring the podcast throughout the month of January. If you want to get out to Sri Lanka and you want to watch Jaroop's England taking on the Sri Lankans in March, and you also want to see what is a, a beautiful country in the best of its weather, Experienced Travel Group are the people that will get you there, look after you and make sure you have a fantastic time. I was stood in Barbados once and Pop Welch, Graham Welch, the uh, former Warwickshire bowler, current coach, just tugged me on the uh, on the shirt and said, look at this fella. He said, do you want to have a word with him? In- most interesting bloke you'll ever meet. He was talking about Paul Smith, the guest this week. Now Paul's been part of a Warwickshire side that dominated the mid-90s, treble-winning side of 1994. Some people say he never quite got the best out of his cricket. Others will say he got the best out of being a cricketer. There's a difference. And he's had his fair share of downs as well as ups. But the measure of some people is how they bounce back from adversity rather than having the adversity define them. Paul's done a lot of sterling work with children. Currently a writer. Currently available on the after-dinner circuit. Guest speaker your club function, motivational speaker. If you carry on listening, he gives out an email address if you want to book him for a function. Well worth getting. One of the most interesting guys in cricket. Talks a lot of sense about cricket and he's seen more of the world and more things around the world than most of us have done by watching the television and watching films, honestly. Action-packed life. It's fantastic to have him on the Cricket Badger podcast this week. I was worried when I got him and I first asked him to be on and he said yes, that... I'd probably have to have a five-hour podcast to even scratch the surface. And I think I'm right, to be honest, because we talk about a lot. He answers the Cricket Badger 20 questions in this podcast. But 
definitely scope to have him back on again in the future to talk a little bit more, even if it's just about Pablo Escobar. More of that later. Because this week on the Cricket Badger podcast, our guest is Paul Smith. It's that Badger style. Cricket Badger podcast fact file. Paul Andrew Smith, former Warwickshire all-rounder 1982 to 1996. Highest first class score 140. Best first class bowling 6 for 91. Part of Warwickshire's treble winning team of 1994. His dad and brother also played first class cricket. Retired at 30 and had issues with drugs and in his personal life before working with kids and bouncing back. Now available as an after dinner speaker and motivational talker. Welcome to the podcast Moon Man. Let's have a badger chat. Hi, my name is Brian Lara, and you're listening to the Cricket Badger Podcast. Paul Smith, it's a delight to have you on the Cricket Badger Podcast. You're going to take on the 20 questions this week. How are you, mate? I'm well, thank you. Bit cold, but otherwise, fingers crossed. Touch wood, I'm all right. Good stuff. We're going to start with question number one, and uh, we'll go back to your playing days. What was your best moment in cricket? If I could take you back to any day of your playing career, what would you like to relive again? I think uh, when Bob Willis told me we're going to sign you, uh, I think that was a pivot, uh, that was a pivotal moment because it was the first step on the ladder. And um, I'd spent enough time around Edgebaston as a, thir- a 14 and 15 year old kid during the uh, school summer holidays, so I had a bit more of an insight than a lot of kids at the age of 16. So that was a, pr- a pivotal moment, and obviously Willis was a massive inspiration um, to people like me. So. Uh, I would say that and everything that unfolded afterwards was a hell of a journey, which uh, thankfully led to a lot of trophies further down the line. And I I imagine sad news for you two or three weeks ago when Bob Willis died. Absolutely bombed. Um, Yeah, he was a mentor to uh, a lot of us uh, and a lot of the success that happened further down the road when obviously his playing careers had had been long and gone and he was uh, known as a a commentator uh, for Sky. You know, we kept in touch if we were in, if you know, if, if we were in London and he was about, then we'd catch up. And um, I mean, I interviewed him two or three times, probably in the last five years. Uh, so yeah, we're, I think a lot of people were bombed, and obviously the 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 you know the outpouring of uh, support and what a great man that he was sort of backs that up really. I mean, go back to kind of my youth and watching that 1981 Ashes series with him running in and taking the 843. That was known as Botham's Ashes, but without Willis, it wouldn't have been, would it? It would have been an Australian win. It would have been, yeah. I mean, that was a, a, I mean, for people of our generation, that was a pivotal um, Test match series that we will recall for uh, for the rest of our lives. Um, I remember doing the scoreboard uh, at Lords as an MCC young cricketer uh, when Beefy bagged the tear, which I think was the Test match before. Um, and Willis bowled quick at Lords, and I remember doing the scoreboard, and uh, you know, it was. Huge excitement, um, Ashes series, first time I'd actually been involved in it because you you got to bowl at the England or Australian players in the morning at Lords. Uh, but yeah, Willis, um, he bowled the speed of light on a wicket that offered him some sort of assistance and he put himself in that trance-like state, which he would do um, when it really mattered. Uh, so yeah, great memories and a, a great bowler, 325 test match wickets with um, basically one kneecap. <laughs> Who was your cricket hero when you were young? You know, did you have a poster boy, somebody that inspired you to take up the game? 
well, the person who inspired me to take up the game was my father. So uh, whilst I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't call him my poster boy, he was um, he was as pivotal in my development as a cricketer as say someone like Bob Woolmer was further down the line. And obviously, you had David Brown and Bob Cotton, who were fantastic. Uh, at, uh, supporters of us at Edgebaston as coaches and managers and, and all that sort of thing. So I suppose Beefy burst in the scene in 1977 when I was a 13-year-old kid, and prior to that, it was Tony Gregg. They were more than just bat and ball, those characters. Um, you know, and we, we've obviously had Freddie uh, since, and now we've got a fantastic all-rounder in our team who's a huge inspiration as well. So your job, I suppose is to inspire the next generation. And, you know, we've had a few of those in, in the last 30, 40 years. My next question was going to be biggest biggest influence on your career. You've mentioned a few there. Um, I've, I've spoken to you before about Bob Woolmer, and you've got huge respect for him as a coach, haven't you? Somebody that you think was well ahead of his time. He was. In his first session, I mean, he came to us... Um, I think I was 27 years of age, and uh, we, you know, a lot of us had played a lot of first-class cricket from young. And uh, when Woolley became our coach, and he became our coach because of his friendship with uh, Dennis Amos, who was the chief executive of Warwickshire. And uh, in the in the dining room, we sat down and had a chat. And uh, he turned around and said, "If I can make you five percent better people, you'll be automatically become better cricketers." And we knew what reputation he had as a coach. And that was like quite an eye-opening sentence for one or two of us. Um, but he was right. And he talked a different sport. He, t- he talked about affirmation. He coached. Not only was he a fantastic cricket coach, but he was a fantastic hockey coach. And he sort of combined, uh, from a batting philosophy, uh, he combined the two. Uh, he spoke a different language. He often dis- said, discard you know, the coaching manuals. Think about it this way. Think about it this way. He also did things like he would, a lot of people look, but not many people see. And Bob was very good at seeing things. So, you know, he, he, he put you in a position where you'd been in these situations, you know, affirmation, you, you, where you haven't been necessarily been in those situations before. But when you walked to the crease or when you stood at the end of your mark, you're not faced by him because you've been prepared with a different way of thinking. So, uh, yeah, he was streets ahead, mate. And even now, in 2020, I hear, I hear coaches talking and I'm thinking, you're your toy town. You know, I heard better than this back in the day. But, you know, those are, that's the difference between coaching certificates and knowledge. I never met Bob Woolmer, but I watched him play. And he always seemed to be quite a gentle fellow. Not somebody that would necessarily walk into a room and, and light it up and everybody look round. Was he somebody as a coach that as soon as he opened his mouth, you listened to him? Or did he have to earn that? No, he didn't. He, he, we very quickly listen, uh, learned to listen. Um, I mean, I, as a kid, uh, would watch quarterfinals, semifinals and finals, you know, the finals at Lords And uh, Kent and Lancashire played in a lot of finals and quarters and semis, obviously, in that period. So I used to watch Woolley as a player. Uh, you know, he bowled, he, he bowled a swing and he developed from a tail-end batsman into an opening batsman. And unfortunately, at the age of 34, he lost his career with a bad back. He went away to Cape Town and and developed his own coaching methods. Often he coached for nothing because he couldn't find any work, uh, but he believed in his methods. Um, When Bob spoke, you listened because he talked a huge amount of sense and you knew he cared. I think initially when he came to Edgebasson, because we were a fun-loving bunch of guys, if you like, um, I think he thought that we sort of took our foot off the brake when we socialised. But I think once he realised that we wanted to win just as much as him, 
once he had, once the penny dropped in his head that that was the case, um, it was going to be a formidable partnership. And as I said, we'd all played a lot of cricket. And if you throw in people like Alan Donald and Sean Pollock and Brian Lara into the mix, then you, you believe that anything is capable. And it was. Pretty special team, that wasn't it? it assembled at Edgebaston there. Plenty of trophies, plenty of uh, records broken as well. What was it like to be part of that? It was a bit like being a guitarist and being asked to, to join Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin or something like that. It was... Um, <laughs> We worked. The thing is, the thing about it is, we worked so much harder than anyone else. You know, the, a lot of the days that had been days off prior uh, were days that were training days, travelling days. Uh, we'd sit and talk cricket for hours, um, talk about opponents. You know, they were incredibly. We did things differently. We learned from the from the previous generations what they'd done well and what they maybe hadn't done so well, and we tried to bring a few more things into the mix. Um, they were fantastic times, you know, and to this day, I mean, I've spoken to Tim Munton this morning and Wazin Khan is in Pakistan has messaged me, you know, they're, they're special times. And I think that you, you're, you keep in touch with people for lots of different reasons from your youth, if you like. Um, but there's a massive bond there and, you know, no one is, no one doesn't love cricket anymore. We may be older and wiser and whatever, and our body's slightly tired, but, uh, you know, we lived it. So, um, you know, it's, uh, you remember the good times. You're talking about living it and learning from the very best in Bob Bulmer and, and various other people that you'll have come across in your career. You've got that inside your head. You've got that knowledge. I guess you want to pass that on and, and those gem pearls of wisdom, give them to other people as well. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty basic, it's a pretty simple game, cricket. One bat, one ball. And, it, and it's a matter of don't let the actions of people around you, you know, sort of like interfere with your concentration and your focus. Um, and if you can sort of if you can be incredibly strong mentally, I think you can conquer um, many, many things. You know, you don't have to be the best in the pack to have the best performance today. Uh, every every dog will have its day. And um, if you're good, hopefully you'll have a few more. If there's 11 of you, if half of you fire on any particular day and your team plays, then hopefully you'll win more than you lose. Um, I think last August there was a gathering at Edgebaston where there was probably 90 ex-Warwickshire players in a room, and it, I, I'd never seen as many players as that um, in, in the gathering of the room, and it was pretty humbling. Um, you know, your Amos's, your MJK Smith's, uh, your John Jamesons, your Humpages, all these guys that sort of like helped us so much when we were kids. You know, everyone, everyone was in attendance who could get there. People flew in from overseas. And it was to celebrate 125 years of cricket at Edgebaston on that very site uh, and to celebrate our treble. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the young guys who have just come out of the academy at Edgebaston and some of them, I think the day after, said they may have felt a little bit intimidated by the fact that we were being paraded there for what we'd actually achieved. But what they must understand is they don't know how many balls we bowled in practice or how many balls we bowled, you know, in order to get the amount of wickets that we may have got in our careers or the amount of runs that we scored in our careers. You know, you get it wrong more than you get it right, but, you know, the better you get, hopefully you get it you get it uh, right more often. And, you know, that's all part of the journey. So the, this generation of Bears, they may have had a difficult season last summer, but, you know, we're there with them uh, and they should never be, feel intimidated by their presence. We go and watch because we care. Paul, I said when I invited you on this podcast, I wanted to be careful about how long it was going to take because I, I find you a very interesting man to listen to. Um, other people can too, can't they, this year because you're going out on the after-dinner speaking circuit. 
motivational chats and uh, passing on some of your, your wisdom. How can people get in touch with you and what can you offer them if they book you for an evening function? Best way of getting hold of me would be paulsmithauthor at gmail.com and that would, uh, you know, inquiries are addressed that way. I talk you through the journey of a life of a professional sportsman from having a dream as a kid, you know, and, and, and the journey that unfolded from going to apartheid South Africa and, and sort of playing in te- a team with Brian McMillan and people like that, all the way through a journey of professional cricket in this, in this country and sort of many journeys overseas, through South America, you know, all around the world. There's something for everyone. Uh, you know, feedback is always positive. Uh, so, you know, that's after dinner stuff. But, you know, there's also re- resilience and motivational talks. So, you know, that, that you know, you go anywhere from corporate to, you know, sort of dinners to any sort of environments, really. That's, that's the way that we pay the bills. <laughs> I, and if somebody's listening to this in Kent or in Scotland or anywhere, you're willing to travel? Are you? It's not just for people in the Birmingham area. I, I travel up and down this country, speaking. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, not restricted by mileage. Uh, just, just negotiate fees, and we go from there. Excuse me, Mr. Badger. Sorry to interrupt. I've heard Sri Lanka is a lovely country and a great place to see some cricket. Is there anyone you know who can help me get out there to see the cricket and have a fantastic holiday? It sounds like a perfect time to tell you about the experienced travel group then. They're a London-based company with a team in Sri Lanka who've put together private tours, which include a fantastic cricket package with great seats, lunches, top boutique hotels and after-match drinks to meet fellow enthusiasts. Okay. I love my cricket, but my partner also wants this to be a holiday. Can they make that happen? As Sri Lanka specialists, this is where the experienced travel group come into their own. They will put together a tour that helps you to properly discover the country. They cater for people who want to watch England play cricket abroad and also enjoy a fun, immersive and luxurious holiday in Sri Lanka. Are they really as good as they sound? Well, if I didn't think so, I wouldn't be mentioning them now, would I? This March will be the third trip they've done. Last year, they successfully hosted over 150 cricket and travel fans. 100% of which said they would use the experienced travel group again. It sounds great. How do I book? All you have to do is call 0207 924 7133 or visit experiencetravelgroup.com. Um, we've talked about some of the, the good times in your cricket career and some of the good people that you've met and played alongside, but what was your worst moment in cricket? We talked about the best day in your career. What was what was the day that you wouldn't want to relive? When Bob left, when Bob Woolman became South African coach, and I realised there was only one way that we were going to go. Um, uh, I suppose football players have had it where managers uh, managers leave and it's bombed. It's like you know your world falls apart. And we were very strong, but we you know Bob was our crutch in a certain way. Um, he would keep you going, and I think that we we we'd done a trap. The thing about Bob is we kept. He, he was always on the end of the phone. He was always he'd always respond to um, emails and all that sort of stuff. And we would catch up with him if we were in a country he was in, or if he was in the UK. But personally, at the age of thirty, I'd actually achieved everything I said I'd set out to do as a kid. And at that very moment, we lost Bob as a coach, and I know it affected a lot of people. Um, you know, and it didn't really matter who, who Warwickshire replaced him with. It was never going to be the same again. Uh, and from there, 
key focus sort of tended to drift. And obviously, the more successful you become, the more doors open out maybe within the sport, but also outside of it. So uh, those sort of things start to appeal a bit more. So I would say Woolley going to South Africa, Alan Donald got him as a coach. Uh, and, lucky, and lucky for Al, you know, he continued to work with Al and, and Pollock and all those guys and, you know, do fantastic work all around the world. But, yeah, Bobby going was uh, was pretty gut-wrenching, really. I, I often think, Paul, when you see football managers leave and it's been somebody, say, an Alex Ferguson, Manchester United are really struggling to replace him. Leeds, when Don Revy left, Brian Clough came in, but had a thankless task. If you follow somebody that's had such an impact, it's almost an impossible job to replace them, isn't it? I think it is. If you use Manchester United as an example, there's a, there's a huge club with um, a reputation of winning shed loads of trophies. Just because you're good doesn't mean the success will continue. Just because you follow the patterns of the past doesn't mean that those will always work in the modern world. You know, you're there to be knocked down. Uh, there's always 11 people who are, who are out to beat you in your, in, in your own backyard. And, you know, when you've got... There's a lot of hostility in sport, which people don't really... Um, often don't take on board. Uh, and at the end of the day, people are only human. You know, everybody, everything is fallible. Um, and nothing goes... You know, I mean, look at Liverpool. I mean, what a fantastic team they are and what a fantastic manager they've got. Um, everyone's on top of the world and, you know, should... should uh, should Liverpool lift, lift um, the Premier League, then I would be as pleased for the people of Liverpool as I would be for the guys who've gone out there and, and thrown everything uh, into their game and practice sessions and on the park. And as I said, Klopp, what a manager, what a person. If you could trade lives, Paul Smith, with any current cricketer, any current player for a day, live in their skin, see what it's like to have their talent in their life, who would you choose? Uh, well, when I watched Wood bowl um, in the test match in Port Elizabeth, it took me back where you just run up and just let the ball go and, you know, try and, try and bowl at the speed of light. I mean, uh, he's got a pretty delicate body and hopefully he can uh, stay on the park for the next few years. I'd like to uh, be in, uh, in Wood's shoes at the moment. I mean, a lot of people would say Stokes. A lot of people would say... Steve Smith, a lot of people would say this, that, and the other. You know, I, I, watch, I watch people who inspire me, and he inspires me when I see him bowl. So I would go along with Wood. I, I like Mark Wood. It's great to see him back in the England team. He hasn't played cricket since the, the World Cup final, but he plays with a smile on his face. He looks like he's enjoying it, doesn't he? He looks like he's giving it his all, but enjoying it and getting the most out of playing for England. That's what you want to see, isn't it? He's from Durham. He's Nelly of Geordie, so us from the north, Enjoy getting out on the park and you know hopefully showing showing uh, people what what we can what we could do. Um, but yeah, he's obviously got a lot of spirit. He's got a lot of fire, and he can bowl at the speed of light when he's uh, when he's match fit. I'm going to put you in charge of world cricket for a day, Paul Smith. You've got uh, a desk there. You've got all the power in the world. What would be the first thing you'd change to make cricket better? I would I would eradicate any talk of four day test match cricket. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bonkers idea, isn't it? I think if, if you talk about four-day four test matches, I would say what you need to do is you need to, you need to make the players better players so that they can play five-day test match cricket. And if the coaches aren't good enough, you put ones in who, who, uh, who can teach them how to, how to play five-day test match cricket. You've just got to look at uh, what happened in Cape Town. And, you know, it happens more regularly than people sort of give it credit for. There's a lot of great games of cricket which go into a fifth day. 
Um, and also you have to take into account the weather that often comes into play, where if it was a four-day test match, it might be a two-and-a-half-day test match, and you've got no chance of a result. So if the game's been good enough to play test matches lasting five days for as long as it has, then just because guys can't bat for longer than 10 minutes don't mean you change the rules. It means you educate them to be better players. The thing that gets me as well, Paul, is the overrates that you know continue to go down around the world if you condensed the test match into four days and said, well, we're going to play a little bit more on each of those four days, you're not going to do because they can't bully overs at the moment, can they? Well, I think the, the thing that makes me smile is that in the, in the era of West Indies dominance um, in the 70s, 80s and up to mid-90s, West Indies used to be fined left, right and centre for slow over rates. And yet in 2020, that's the, that is the over rate and it's been the over rate probably for the last decade. So when we had the finest of a generation, some of the finest that's ever played the game, um, they used to find them left, right and centre because they said there wasn't enough overs being bowled and then they dropped the overs be bowled in a, in a, in a, in a day uh, and they don't find them. So um, you work that one out. <laughs> um, you had quite a... I mean, I'm just looking at a Guardian piece here about you and um, it was written in 2007, but it's Warwickshire Wildman starts to make up for lost time. Um, describe you as the kind of rock star image of, of cricket. You did have that, didn't you, with your long hair, you kind of bowled fast, but you worked hard on the pitch, but you played hard off it. Well, I think, uh, <laughs> I, I think you know, we play, we played cricket, and if we lost, we drank the fixture back. Um, that, that, that's, <laughs> maybe, that's maybe a generational thing, but, you know, from, probably from the age of 10, I played cricket with men. Obviously, I played junior cricket as well, but, I mean, you know, the education that I had was that you, you played... You play cricket and then you mix with the opposition, and quite often, um, in a social environment, some of the some of the key points of your education were actually expressed. Where you'd never learn that on the field because an opponent could never talk to you. Um, you know, if you had a if you had a conversation with Sir Richard Hadley in the bar at Trent Bridge, you'd learn far more by picking his brains than you would do. Obviously, you learn a huge amount by trying to bat against him on a green top at Trent Bridge. But yeah, we um, we enjoyed ourselves. Um, and also, I think the thing is, you know, your friends are not just the ones that you play with, play cricket with and against. You know, you got friends from all walks of life and, and people people live different hours. Um, so sometimes I would be with cricketers up until a certain time of the evening. And then after, you know, after hours, I'd be with people who were in other occupations. So I'm not going to miss out on seeing my pals just because i got a game tomorrow. Go back to what I said to Bob. Don't judge me. <laughs> don't judge me on what I'm going to get up to tonight because I'm telling you I'm up for tomorrow and, and, and it took him probably two years to work that one out but I'd always say to him look who performs when it matters um, and that really it's not how many hours you spend in the office it's what you do when you're there the next question kind of comes quite nicely off the back of that they say rock stars want to be sportsmen um, and sportsmen want to be rock stars if you could be famous doing something else, what would you have? Would, what would you have picked? Would you have been a rock star, or would you have gone down a different route? Um, I always wanted to be a professional cricketer, but I've always been a, a huge follower of music. So I suppose it would be pretty cool to have been in a band that made it big. But there's not many bands that make it big. There's a lot of bands who are on the road a lot. I suppose a musician might have suited my uh, might have suited my mentality. Um, I don't know. My, the people that I admired when I was growing up were people like Barry Sheen, James Hunt, George Best, all huge characters of sport. Yeah, maybe in, maybe in 2020 I should turn into the next Hunter S. Thompson.
If you could meet anybody, living or dead, it's that kind of dim party question, who would you like to meet and have a chat with? Jimi Hendrix. That's not a bad answer. Interesting, man. Well, he's a genius. Never bettered. What would you ask him? How long have I got? <laughs> I, I mean, the thing is, normally people say if you could pick eight people to come around for dinner, who would they be? Uh, you, you're asking for one, so Hendrix would be in that. I think it's about the times and who inspired who. And, you know, people think if you, if you use Hendrix as an example, he had a hell of an education. He played with some of the greatest musicians uh, of their type as a, as a backing man for several years before he was brought across to the UK and became the Hendrix that people remember. So uh, his journey, as much as anything, people remember the, um, the clothes and the wild man image and whatever. But, you know, if you if you actually study Hendrix and it's pretty timeless stuff and it's, he was an inspiration to people to this very day. So um, Hendrix would be one of a few people who would be around for a, for a Saturday night knees up. They're going to make Paul Smith the movie and it's not the, uh, the fashion designer. Who would play you in a movie about your life? Johnny Depp. With his, his long hair, he'd have to learn how to play cricket. Uh, well, he's a pretty, he's a pretty skilled man. I'm sure, he'd, I'm sure he'd learn, if he can learn how to be a pirate and speak like Keith Richards, I'm sure he could. Uh, I'm sure that they could uh, fluff a few um, images of someone striking a ball or sort of standing on the end of a mark <laughs> about to bowl one. What's the top item on your bucket list? Things to do before you die. Is there something you'd, you're desperately keen to squeeze in before you take your last breath? I don't really have anything on a, on a bucket list per se. It's more a case of uh, things I want to do with my kids, places I want to take them, um, that sort of thing, really. Uh, you know, I mean, from a work perspective, there's certain fields that I want to, I wanted to continue to work in and, and, and to develop. But, I mean, you know, once you've got kids, your priorities change. And I've been a father. I've got four kids. So, you know, the oldest is 31, the youngest is 12. So there's plenty of places I could take them. Uh, and, you know, I aspire to do. That's why we work. Discover Sri Lanka at your own pace. Take tea in style and be bowled over by its beauty with the experts' experienced travel group. March is an ideal time to visit Sri Lanka from a weather perspective, so why not make Sri Lanka your winter holiday destination and enjoy five days of cricket in one of the world's most picturesque venues. Experience Travel Group's Curious Travellers Cricket Tour. There are no boundaries, but plenty of extras. Call 0207 924 7133 or visit experiencetravelgroup.com. I guess the the next question, um, are you a morning or a night person? But I asked you that 20 years ago, it might be a different answer. Has it changed? I'd say it's a 24-hour day, so you know, often I work through the night. I mean, if I sleep at night, I'll still be up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, and, and quite often I, I might still be working at 3 in the morning, so I don't really need that much sleep, and that was... That's always been the case. You know, I might I might sleep for 24 hours having not slept for three or four days, but, I mean, uh, that, that's always been the case. I think if you... Uh, I mean, I write a lot, so you, you have to work at the times where, the, where you think your best um, work is, is going to come. On a scale of one to ten, ten is the fonds. How cool would you say you are? Gee, me knowing me as I know me. <laughs> Five, five, five on a good day. You can, you can. It's, it's not about the packaging. It's about what's within. 
So if your heart is in the right place, it's not about being cool. People will judge you. They either like you, they don't. They either think you're cool, they think you're out of out of sorts, whatever. You know, it's not about it's not about being cool or not. I mean, that's something that people either comment on or don't. I think I think what you've just said there is one of the uh, the best things anybody's ever said on this uh, Cricket Budget podcast. That's a good message. <laughs> If you had access to a time machine, where and when would you go to? Is there something you'd like to go back and experience and see and see it firsthand? The days of the Vikings. Okay. Days of the Vikings. I I mean, I'm I'm from Northumberland. Uh, Northumberland has got more castles per square mile than anywhere else in Europe, I think. Uh, Fantastic coastline, fantastic heritage, uh, you know, and there were Viking invasions, um, et cetera, et cetera. I just try and go back... uh, I believe that I'm from another time, and people would probably back, certain people would certainly back that up. But yeah, I prefer back in the day to now. I think now, the, the world now is, uh, it works at such a pace that um, sometimes it's difficult to catch your breath unless you sit back and let it sort of just fly around around you. If I go to Lindisfarne, Holy Island, um, near Bambra on the Northumberland coastline, I think you could be, you know, there's no, there's no cars there once once the cars are out of sight and it's, uh, and it's certain times of day, and it's solace. You could be any time, you know, going back, going back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. So I mean, they're the, they're the times that I chase more than anything. I'm up to solace rather than uh, the next party. So it would be back in the day. If you could live anywhere in the world, Paul, if I could give you your chosen house anywhere you want, where would you like to go? Where would you like to live? Uh, can I only have one house? I'll let you have two or three. Let's push the boat out on this podcast. All right, okay. I'd have a house in Northumberland, undoubtedly, because I've got a lot of pals up there that I rarely see. Um, I would have a house in Cape Town, and I'd have a house in... uh, I'd have a place in Venice Beach, California. That sounds all right. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would you change? Oh, gosh. Um, I think you, certain things in life, you know, periods of life where uh, you might lose your way, you may... Um, certain things that have happened in life I wish hadn't happened, but unfortunately that's all part of the journey and I think it's a matter of trying to put it right. I wouldn't change too much, to be honest. Uh, you can't change. You can't, you can't change anything. So it's about about learning and being wiser for the event and you know, trying to pass on. When you see people going through the same things, it's a matter of sometimes, you know, a, a quiet word. I mean, sometimes people seek me out because they know I've seen a bit and they're struggling themselves. So, you know, where you've fallen down, it might be to someone's benefit further down the line. So, you know, as I say, as a father of four, then I'm here for them. So I always say to them, whatever you've seen, trust me, I've probably seen or done twice as bad. So talk, um, you know, so, you, you you know, you judge, you judge, I judge on impact, um, and so if you can help, you do it because we're here to help young people. A lot of stuff talks about mental health and men, you know the awareness around mental health issues these days, isn't it? And quite rightly so. Um, and one of the key messages from that is, is talk, isn't it? And to just ask questions, talk about your own situations, and get things out there rather than just pop things up. You, you think that's an important thing? I think it's huge. I, th- I mean, this is where the Professional Cricketers Association have been so good in recent years. I mean, cricket, for example has more suicides than any other sport. And you've got to ask, uh, ask yourself the question why. There might be several reasons. Mm. Everyone's career stops and finishes at different times. Friendships sometimes get put to bed. You know, you, if you play sport, you retire twice in your life. 
So things like mental health issues, you know, there's direct lines where players can ring. Uh, there's links to Harley Street. Some people are not very good at talking, but psychologists are very good at getting people to talk. Um, and because it's uh, because the conversations go no further, it's about moving people forward and trying to see beyond the situations in which they find themselves. And sometimes it's a matter of, you know, if you if if certain things happen in your life, there will there might be trigger mechanisms um, that kick in that take you back to times you'd rather not forget, but you can't actually control those emotions. So, you know that that's where psychologists are so good, and they and they teach people how to get through those those trigger moments where the you know where people can go to bits for something that happened many years before. You know, the art of communication face-to-face is absolutely vital. And this is in a day and age where people don't really communicate that well. You know, people communicate through texts and WhatsApp and this sort of thing. But they don't let people rarely actually sit in front of each other and tell them what's, um, what, they're, what they're actually thinking. And to discuss something is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign that you're, you're actually growing and you want to sort things out. So mental health, I'd always say to anyone, listen, as I say, if you think you've, if if you think you're struggling, then I could t- I could probably talk you through a, a few situations you're not even aware of. Imagine that, and that's not making comparisons. It's not like for like. It's a matter of making people understand that it's a hell of a journey we go through, and it's a hell of a life is full of expectations. Where just because you're older means that you're supposed to be able to deal with these things, when in reality you're trying to do deal with things that may have happened in your youth. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you mentioned kind of retiring from cricket or often it being forced upon a cricketer that their career is finished. How did you deal with that? Looking back at that time when you played your last game and you know, the transition into not being a professional cricketer anymore and being a former pro, how was that for you? At the age of 30, I would say that my, uh, I'd, I'd actually achieved everything I set out, set out to do. When I was 14, I went to Edgebaston for six weeks from Newcastle um, and I did the same when I was 15 and I remember thinking I want to be part of this and when I finish I want it to have moved forward big time and it and it had by the age of 30 and I actually um, pretty much had made my you know we'd done a treble we'd done a double we'd I think you know we'd won six trophies in 24 months we'd finished a loser in a final in that period and we'd come second in the Sunday league where on a technicality we'd actually won it um, and it was those two seasons were probably the equivalent of four physically and mentally. So I actually wanted to hit the road. I didn't want anything to do with cricket anymore. There were issues in my life that I knew I needed to address. And by being a professional sportsman, it was only actually going to make it harder. So I went and spent a load of time in, in the States um, and lived a completely different life. Um, bought a V10 Dodge Viper and sort of probably in the eyes of certain people thought, you know, I'd... Uh, I, I was really pushing the boat out when in reality I was trying to get a far... I, basically, I left the band and people would say, why did you leave the band? He'd say, well, because I can. And I did. Um, I still love the sport. I still love the guys I played sport with. I still love the club that I made my name with. Uh, and you want everything to move forward. It's just for a for a period of my life. People said to me, why are you retiring at 30 or 31, whatever it was? You could play for another three or four years. Well, once the lights go out, bit like when you know a relationship is, is 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 dying and you have to come to terms with it sometimes it's your decision sometimes it's someone else's you have to be big and you have to be strong and i and i suppose in certain people's eyes i i made wrong decisions and in other people's eyes they admired the way that i went about it but i 
I had a fairly clear idea about what I wanted to do. I wanted to work, work with young people. I didn't want to be a coach. I didn't want to be a teacher. But there was so much knowledge that had been attained from the likes of Woolmer that uh, I knew that there was, there was a part to play. And that's why I sort of took untraditional routes of working with young people and linking sports to education because I knew it would move them forward. And it does to this day. We've talked about what's happened in the past. What will you be doing in 10 years' time? Gosh, who knows? Who knows what we're doing in 10 years' time? The way the world's going, will the world be here in 10 years' time? Um, in 10 years' time, uh, hopefully spending a lot of time with my kids and, and, and maybe some, even some grandchildren. Who knows? A lot of writing, uh, a lot of podcasting, a lot of whatever 20, 30 is, uh, is throwing at us. Final question, Paul Smith. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Always good to talk to you. If you've been picking these questions yourself, to ask to yourself, what would you have picked to give yourself a tough question and get an exclusive answer? Jeez, you know, that's, that's the hardest question you've asked me. I have no idea. I mean, I, I'm a, I would say I'm an open book. If you ask me a question, I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you an answer to it. It doesn't really, questions don't really worry me. Um, so yeah, I, would say, I would always say fire away. Probably not a question you've not been asked then at some stage in your life. Many, many questions I've been asked. Uh, and sometimes if you're in company, some people can't believe the questions that I am being asked. Um, sometimes you can't <laughs> answer them because if you answer them correctly, you'll drop other people in the cart. So in reality, you either have to take it on the chin and say, no, that was me. Or you just say, I'm not answering that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, loads of questions that... Uh, there's a lot of questions that, you know, obviously come your way because you've probably seen a bit more than, a, you know, a few other people in life. But I, I get asked what Pablo Escobar was like as a guy because I met him a few times in South America. Um, that's not a difficult question to answer because everyone knows what Pablo Escobar was. But, yeah, you know, whatever. The people you meet, uh, you know, you get asked questions about all sorts of things. I, I tell you what, I, I didn't know that about you, about Pablo Escobar. And that, 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 that intrigued me. Uh, well, Escobar used to come into a, a nightclub in New York City uh, called New York City in Buenos Aires. Uh, and it was interesting times because I was, I was uh, living in Buenos Aires and it wasn't that many months after the Brits had finished fighting Argentina in the Falklands. Um, and I got offered de very decent money to go and um, play sport out there. I only had to play cricket on a, on a weekend one day. Um, and I was told where I could go and where I couldn't go. I was quite clearly not a South American citizen because I had long blonde hair and I may go brown, but I wasn't olive-skinned. And, and because I was English and different, the only English-speaking newspaper in Argentina, the Buenos Aires Herald, used to sort of not stalk me, but write about me a lot. And my teammates, who were mostly worked in embassies, they told me where I could go and where I couldn't, and they said I should maybe check this nightclub out where there were 6,000 people would gather a few times a week, and Escobar used to come in quite frequently with Diego Maradona. So yeah, I met Pablo, and uh, and some of the issues that Diego got later on in his career, you could quite see, quite clearly see unfolding right in front of your eyes. But yeah, fascinating times, all part of a journey. Go through South America as a 18 or 19 year old kid. Um, I get asked that, about that a lot, and some things I can talk to you about, and some things I better not because I, I value my life. <laughs> well, I tell you what, Paul. I, I knew this was going to happen. I was going to end the podcast. Thinking, you know, I want I want to get you back on again to talk to you to, to more about cooking, certainly about working with um, youngsters around the world as well. That'd be an interesting chat at some stage in the future. But for now, this week, 
thank you very much for your time, Paul Smith. It's been a pleasure to chat to you again. Always good to speak, mate. Keep look after yourself. And you. It's that Badger style. Thank you very, very much to Paul Smith this week on the Cricket Badger podcast. Always a pleasure to speak to Paul about cricket, about life, about anything. One of the most interesting guys you'll meet on the face of the planet. And we'll have him back on for sure at some stage in the future. And if that's not whetted your appetite and it's not made you want to book him to be your guest speaker at your lunch, your dinner, your motivational function, whatever it's going to be, then have a look. PaulSmithAuthor at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with him about getting you along to your club to give you a bit of a chat, well worth a booking, I think. So for another week, that is the Cricket Badger podcast. Thanks ever so much for joining us. If you liked it, please like it, subscribe to it. Give it a nice comment on whatever platform you're listening to it on. It's everywhere around the globe, around the podcast world. So thank you very much for finding it, for listening and join us next week when we have another edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. Thanks as well to the Experience Travel Group for their support of the podcast. It's much appreciated. If you want to go to Sri Lanka in March, and if you want to watch England taking on Sri Lanka, and you also want to see that great country, then Experience Travel Group, they're the people that can get you there. Until next week, Badgers, there's so much cricket around the world. Enjoy your cricket. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.